This podcast is protected under the laws of the United States and other countries. Unauthorized duplication, distribution, or exhibition may result in civil liability, criminal prosecution, and the wrath of the tall man. <laughs> Boy! And welcome back to Ninety for Chill, the podcast. I hope you've all had a great Valentine's Day. You know, I didn't really have to think about a Valentine, so I guess I'm a winner there. You know, I tried to arrange something with uh, trying a girl I've been flirting with for a while. Just, I figure if I was able to move somewhere socially with someone, I think I'd be forgiven for a late release on this podcast. But I digress. I am your host, Cool Movies Darth. Is the handle I'm trying to get over on Letterboxd. You can find me at CM Darth as a username. And you can find me on Twitter at CatBusRuss. That kind of exposes the real name, Russ Stevens. It's weird. Google Home likes Russ Stevens. Amazon Echo doesn't really care. I could just use the podcast title. But you know what? We're going on at minute 15. Uh, probably a minute 20, actually, with my intros. This week, I'm going to be finally getting around to the conversation I had with Gregory Carl in regards to the Jodie Foster 1976 vehicle, which was neither Bugsy Malone or Taxi Driver, not even Freaky Friday. It is the psychological horror, I guess you'd say. I mean, it's pretty horrific stuff when you stop and think about it. That was the girl who lives down the lane. But before we get to that, I did dive into the Alley's Accessory Shop on Etsy's Trash Feature Reviews. The feature I watched last night was Dark Space from 2013, a movie about college kids getting lost in space and stumbling upon a government conspiracy. This came from Still Night Monsters Movies, a Phase 4 distributed film. It is on Tubi, and you know, free is the right price for it. Of course, I could probably come up... It's it's not fun masochism, let's just put it that way. So let's get to that movie review, and then we will jump to our conversation with Gregory Carl in regards to the feature that I still believe is on Shudder, The Girl Who Lived Down the Lane. Emergency power activated. Program destination, Centauri 5. Computer, what is our current location? Navigation systems offline. Location unknown. Look out! Brace yourselves!
Little Hand says it's time to rock and roll. Bring the noise. Phase 4 media credit. They know how to make a trailer sound exciting. I'm kind of disappointed that I got this cool sounding minute 30 clip for this feature when trying to find stuff for our main attraction this week, The Little Girl Who Lives Down the Lane. Sorry, I think I keep screwing that title up and hopefully we'll get it all straightened out when I start talking to Gregory about it. I could only find a 30 second soundbite that had any good quality to it. As for Phase 4 Media, they almost got me to look into their feature Dracula Reborn from the same studio, Still Night Movie Monsters. Thankfully, IMDB told me that was a 3.2 when it came to the user score. And if I'm not going to speak positively of a 3.7, I'll skip that 3.2. It's funny, I usually rely on Rotten Tomatoes, but I doubt they got around to this one, which was pretty much straight to DVD. It's from the people who at one time owned the rights to the Terminator franchise, I believe. And it's a film that lacks a Wikipedia page. We have six college students who are going to go to the pleasure moon, I suppose, or planet, what have you, Centauri 5 for spring break, when they decide they need to get there faster and release the constrictor on the speed of the ship. I believe the term would be governor, but I'll have to ask my little brother who does all that truck driving. They end up nearly destroying the ship and crash land on a restricted planet. The reason the planet is being restricted is because the military is there annihilating these gorilla wolf type creatures. I don't think you really ever get to see one in full profile or an entire body. I think it's just crappy CG obviously. The director Emmett Callanan can't direct perspective to save his life. Definitely fails at the 180 degree rule. Despite the actors are putting more effort into it than I think anybody in the Twilight cast. It just doesn't work. I mean, one, the movie opens with a PlayStation 2 era space effects. I think there's only one set in the entire picture. Otherwise, after we get onto that planet, it's just the Canadian wilderness. I mean, the lack of permits, I suppose, is makes that very attractive math doesn't exist in this world like our ship is rapidly losing its integrity i think the uh, it's some scott steiner math and then of course when you know they're escaping at the end the ship's whole integrity is five percent and does not change no matter how many times the military blast it I don't even, it's just a mess of a film. I don't really want to waste too much more time on it, but in a sense, you're kind of hoping that it's Animal House meets uh, Lost in Space, since all the actors are definitely in their early to mid 30s, it seems. I believe, yeah, yeah, no, I'm just uh, looking at the IMDb of the actress Tanya Kay and like, and she's a year younger than me, so early 30s at the very least. It's got characters who are so stupid, you just want to see them die, and it's kind of disappointing that you don't get to see them die in horrific ways. And then to find out this is a TFE 14 rated feature, it's just kind of an embarrassment to trashy cinema. 
which is also sad because I would say the picture quality is actually a lot better than a you know the B movie fair that I like. Looks shinier than one of my favorites, uh, Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. That's what it's got going for it. I don't even think this is uh, fit for made for sci-fi. Let's just get away from this garbage and go to a feature that my mom even regarded as a classic, or at least she says. She's heard it's a classic. She never got around to it. It's not up her alley. The little girl who lives down the lane starring Jodie Foster and Martin Sheen would be your next big actor. All I can say is if you thought Martin Sheen was creepy as the president in the dead zone, not the president on the West Wing, he goes and ups the creepiness. And I note that, oh, geez, Jodie Foster had a hell of a 1976 Bugsy Malone in a feature where every little kids are shooting each other with whipped cream and then playing dead. Freaky Friday, not too challenging, but I shouldn't say that. I mean, this movie may have set her up for that since she's primarily really playing an adult at the age of 14 in this feature. You know, alongside this feature, you also have Taxi Driver in the same years. That is crazy what she went through, and I'm surprised she came out the other side on a, a lot of elements, especially after the John Hinckley bollocks. Uh, Gregory Carl's the one who suggested this feature to me. He never fails to impress, honestly, with his suggestions. So I might have to look back on the movie Baby. That one just sounded a little too creepy for my taste, but I shouldn't be so judgmental. We're going to get into our conversation. I was getting a little bit on the tipsy side by the end of it. I think I failed to um, mention how much I appreciate uh, Stacia Harden and how this podcast is dedicated to her and the impact she had on my life and I hope still has on everyone else that she's touched. Promotion-wise, I better uh, get to it. Rate and subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, of course. If you want to talk trash, do that at CatBusRust, my Twitter. It's better than uh, arguing with uh, conservative wackos. Except Canadian conservative wackos, especially over this entire truck protest, you can still kind of get somewhere with them, or you might not be getting there, but they're just way too polite. I don't know where us Americans missed the boat there, but I digress. As for this podcast, if you want to be on the show, send me an email to rustthebus07 at gmail.com. That's R-U-S-S-T-H-E-B-U-S-07 at gmail.com. Or get a hold of me on Twitter at CatBusRuss at C-A-T-B-U-S-R-U-S-S. Just come up with a movie, a theme, a director, an actor. Just make sure it's uh, under 100 minutes. And I think we have some podcast gold. Just a suggestion. I recently rewatched The Warrior's Way. The 2010 martial arts assassin meets Wild West movie. Jeffrey Rush is your primarily cast uh, actor, despite the fact he's a supporting character. Korean actors are not going to get a break when it comes to billing. I found it to be really cool. Effects might not hold up, but you cut off the credits and it fits our parameters. So without any further ado, let me get to the podcast with Gregory Carl. And I hope to hear from you next week. I hope to have a good report from B-Fest. It looks like that plan is coming through. Things are looking up. Thanks for hanging around for the ride. A little girl. A great big house. All alone. And she wants to keep it that way. Get out of my house! Mrs. Hell, I'm warning you! Her car's in front of the office, but no sign of her. So she never came by, huh? No. Jodie Foster is 
the little girl who lives down the lane. Next month on MGMHD. This meeting is being recorded. Well, they changed the voice. I don't know. I got a different voice on my end. It sounded like uh, they were giving you one to inform you and a different one to let me know everything's working. But uh, I guess it's updates, I suppose. So it's, it, it's been weird with all the job hunting. I've ended up having like a day of four Zoom. I mean, four days of Zoom calls. And, I mean, gr- yeah. So granted, I mean, a lot of them for the podcast, but damn. Just I didn't I didn't think like why well, can't they just put a computer screen at my retailer with my face on it and go through the motions that way? A lot safer COVID wise. <laughs> really, really suggested uh, once um, they really need to make it for the cashiers at retail jobs during COVID to put us up like on a. Uh, pedestal say about 10 feet above and then we just lower a basket to the um customers handle it buffalo bill style then what are you gonna do when the pulley breaks oh i mean it'll be all worth it if i get the snap and (laughs) put the lotion in the oven basket like uh it'd be a lot easier if you just started throwing their items at them yeah but then there's fragileness then so like i've had that before with a co-worker who came out from the inventory yeah i got the item for him and it was a funko pop just threw it to me it's like somebody who collects you know probably has close to 500 funko pops yeah no you don't toss those things around (laughs) so but um, no, enough of the nonsense. We are back with Gregory Carl on 90 for Chill, the podcast. This is your host, Cool Movies Darth, of course. If you're going to have to use your um, Alexa or your Google Home, Russ Stevens, I guess, is what you're going to call out. I guess I was the first Russ Stevens to do a podcast. I know there's a lot of Russ. Well, there's a handful of Russ Stevens. Like, I think the most famous is an English magician. Um. So, I don't know any famous other famous Gregory Carls out there. Not to say that you're not famous, Gregory. <laughs> oh no, I'm not famous, and uh, <laughs> I'm not aware of any other Gregory Carls. But if there were, I would make it my life's duty to hunt them down and claim their power for their own, for my own. Yeah, now you're now you're making me want to like. Well, it wasn't a great movie, but uh, I think it was the one. With Jet Li and Jason Statham, uh, where uh, I'd have to check the runtime. It shouldn't have been more than ninety minutes. Um, where Jet Li is so- bouncing between uh, dimensions to kill off the other Jet Lees and, and sense gain gain their power, and it's to the point where he's down to just one more Jet Li to kill. And since we don't know what will happen if there are no jet leaves throughout the multiverse, they oh, can't. Oh, yeah, he had a long string of forgettable movies there for a while, huh? Uh, it was a weird, it was a weird time. Like, I think they, like, they, um, 
give Jackie Chan too much credit, at least domestically um, in the United States. Like, oh, he had he was a box office star for a while. Really? He had Rush Hour and he had the Shanghai movies. Like, I know a lot of people went and saw Rumble in the Bronx. Uh, that was the first time they ever really did anything with him stateside or release one of his movies to a national audience uh theatrically i mean the fans of i mean he was the biggest action star in the world there was no question about that i know he had his own little nintendo game even um but now gently like okay and he's broken big and like he was in lethal weapon four i mean i can't really and I and I've heard some good things about Unleashed, and I know Invincible. I mean, he did some. Romeo must die. Romeo must die. Like, die again, and that's another one of Delroy Lindau, uh, who was also in the one. So I mean, he had he had some clout for a bit, but yeah, I nothing nothing like his uh, Hong Kong work, like uh, Black Mask or. Um, my favorite master of Tai Chi, uh, better known as Twin Dragons, I think, in the United States, um, which is a weird title. Just since it plays, they were selling it as like Twin Dragons as him and Michelle Yao. And it's like, or Michelle Yeo, sorry. I mean, part of me, she's she was, a, I think she's actually Malaysian. So her child, like that was a big deal about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was... Uh, some of the actors had to pretty much just speak Cantonese phonetically. Um, so it would have probably worked out better if it was actually done in English. <laughs> but um, and there's a there's a weird movie by a uh, director uh, Takeshi Miike, uh, who uh, did Audition and Ichi the Killer. If you've seen either of those, real crazy stuff. Yeah, so same director. He did a movie called uh, Sukiyaki Western Django, which is a Japanese spaghetti western performed in English. (laughs) Um, All Japanese cast with the exception of Quentin Tarantino. Um, I've seen bits and pieces of that. It sounds familiar. Yeah, it's a it, it's it's a. I thought it was a fun one. I had so many people say uh, after watching, say, uh, Kurosawa's Yojimbo, which has been remade in the states. Gosh knows how many times we're talking. Um, well, I guess you wouldn't. I guess you wouldn't call it in the states if it, you bring up. Uh, were those the movies that they based off of those uh, Clint Eastwood westerns? Like, Cur- yeah, yep. yep. A fistful of dollars is a yeah is uh directly inspired too. And then if you want to go into more modern times, you have a uh, Last Man Standing with uh, Bruce Willis, Christopher Walken, uh, David Patrick Kelly. Um, I mean, to be fair, though, I mean, it is kind of a classic story. Yes, it is the the bodyguard who's playing both sides. Um, but, you know, that's where, you know, talking about fun action movies and, and uh, that is definitely not what the 
little girl who lived down the lane, if I pronounce that title correctly, um, double checking. That's why we take notes. And that's why for this podcast, a 90 minute movie becomes a two hour affair for me. Yes, the little girl who lives down the lane starring Jodie Foster and the next biggest name would be Martin Sheen. And I really should uh, look up Martin Sheen's filmography because the only thing I really can recall him being in uh, in the 70s was uh, Apocalypse Now, which obviously he was old enough to have a heart well, hard living, but old enough to have a heart attack on that movie. Um. Let's see, Martin Sheen, born 1940. Oh, I guess he had Badlands. I mean, he was a he was a. I'm sorry. Spawn. Oh yes, well that's that's the more modern stuff. But I'm saying I was, I mean, Apocalypse Now is what he's going to be best remembered for, and The West Wing. I'm sorry, can't can't exclude that. Obviously, I'm just trying to see like. You know, he had Badlands in 73, and this movie is 76, I believe. Yeah, because it was like a very weird. Jodie Foster had a weird 1976. Um, She had Freaky Friday. And I know there was a. Oh, geez. No, I don't want to see when he played himself. Archive footage. Come on, Martin Sheen. Producer, no actor. Okay. As the world turns, Route 66, Nate could see. Oh, he was a he was an established TV star, actually. That's how he started. So I guess it's kind of kind of ironic that not ironic, um, fitting that Charlie Sheen is probably gonna be best known for Two and a half men, at least the freak out. Um, and I guess that's what, like, my first note about this movie was all right, and we have at least one body out, out somewhere, and we have Charlie Sheen, uh, we have Martin Sheen acting like Charlie Sheen, which is not fair to Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen, as far as we know, is not a pedophile. <laughs> Martin, hey, Martin Sheen, no, I was saying like. Uh, we start like this film starts with an obvious casualty somewhere because Jodie Foster plays Rin um, Wilson, I think it is, who's just a 13 year old living in what seems to be, let's just go and say, stereotypical Massachusetts, not too far away from Amity Island type stuff, I'd say, uh, for you Jaws fans, basically. I mean, I grew up in Morton, Illinois, and these people are like far more stuck up in this town in this film. Um, uh, yeah, I started off my day. I ended up getting up at three o'clock this morning. I ended up just rewatching this movie. This is not a great movie to start your day off with because I just, uh, the beginning of this movie makes me mad. And I'm just mad throughout the entire rest of the movie. <laughs> What's up with these people? Who acts like this? Oh, yeah. Um, I'd say you get to, um, until we get are introduced to the which is kind of a creepy thing and it's way too common in the 70s the love interest to Jodie Foster. It's a, you know, 
and we start shaping everything out and figuring well what's going on yeah there's hardly anybody likable i mean even uh jody foster and it's not jody foster's performance she's excellent in this it's just i mean oh, she's yeah. she carries this whole movie and she's well, like what 13 14 14 so 13. yeah as i'm saying she this carries the whole thing oh yeah and i'm saying this is the um same year that she was also in Freaky Friday, and there was another weird movie that. Um, How did this get made? Actually, did an episode on. Um, just doing my best to scroll. Okay, nineteen seventy six. So she's fourteen when she's doing all these movies. Dang, her did a lot of TV work in seventy three. Uh, okay, 75 was slow. All right, so she's got five credits for 1976. Echoes of a Summer, probably a fan, inoffensive movie. Freaky Friday, Disney. I thought she was older than that one, actually. Um, Bugsy Malone, which is a weird movie. Uh, kind of like, I think I need to watch it, regardless that it was a... Oh, directed by Alan Parker, who did other weird movies like Bugsy Malone is a gangster movie portrayed by a cast of nothing but kids. And like whipped cream is the like basically they're shooting whipped cream bullets at each other. And uh, and yeah, and you like go to IMDb for Bugsy Malone and just look at like, I have not seen any footage of this, but yeah, you got kids with like Gatling guns or like, I would say more like the gut, the uh, wasn't a rocket launcher in Terminator two, but the uh, gun that um, Arnold uses to get like, Oh no, we gotta, we got, we got security to get through. I don't think we can do this. We're gonna have to call this off. Move. And blows that hole into the uh, laboratory. That kind of um, it's not a rock. It, it ends up in the end. What kills the T T one thousand? Not a you know explosive yeah, shells. Yeah, it wasn't really grenades. Like they were shells. Um, but yeah, I'm just seeing these kids get wasted with this gun. And of course, all you see is whipped cream hit them. The movie's a musical. Uh, Bugsy Malone. Um. Directed by Alan Parker, who's directed, I think, Avita was probably his last famous movie. Um, he also did the movie uh, that I talked about. I talk about. I try to introduce people to called uh, Angel Heart, which is uh, a um, movie where uh, Robert De Niro plays Louis Cipher, and he's basically taunting Mickey Rourke as a PI. Um, yeah, we we talk about it on the Michael. I tried talking to uh, Michael Dubois about it when we did the uh, Ready or Not podcast. Uh, since that movie's got that Satanist undertone, <laughs> um, yeah. So real weird director, and as I say, so she did that movie, Bugsy Malone, and then her two dramas, I guess you would say, would be uh, the Little Girl Who Lived Down the Lane and Taxi Driver. That was her 1976 five movies, and like, I I mean it's a it's probably not an appropriate thing to say, but when you're being, heavy dramas, yeah, when you're being stalked by a 
a pedophile Martin Sheen character, <laughs> and of course Travis Bickle, <laughs> um, who wasn't stalking her, but decided I well, will she was be. Was a taxi driver, wasn't she? Yes, she was. Yeah, basically Travis Bickle, played by De Niro, is trying to protect her. Um, and of course his own demented way, like say um. So yeah, that's a pretty intense 76. That's a pretty intense 14, you know. And if those are the men you're at the character the the people what men are that are being introduced to you at that age. And I granted characters and such. I can understand like yeah, I would probably be looking for alternatives. <laughs> Since yeah, uh I mean, that, this movie definitely shows uh some differences in the years because they're very like yeah just stay away from that guy in this movie as oh yeah (laughs) it would be a totally different story right well it's a rich town and sadly uh on i mean i i hope it's it's changed over the last uh say 15 years since i've you know kind of been growing up i guess i've been I guess you could say I've been an adult for 16 of my 40, oh, sheesh, 16 of my 42. <laughs> so, um, but uh, I know a lot of, um, I have a lot of friends who are in the um, exotic dancing business and I've heard a lot of stories and it's like, and I've met some of those parents and I, you know, who a degree of complacency, like, well, that's just how, how it happens and like what we're going to go and throw him away. Like, yeah, you should. Uh, I mean, something. Yeah. I I, I don't don't mean to jump like too far ahead or nothing, but I mean, it sounded like this dude, like was getting away with some pretty blatant shit. Oh yeah. So, so the movie is about a little Rin, a 13 year old girl whose father is a poet uh, living you can definitely tell she's living on her own in the um, stuck up Northeast. That's why I'm saying Massachusetts, like Kennedy bullshit, despite the Kennedys were, well. I think yeah. they're probably on the money though. Cause they had to have been close to a coast. Right. Yes. Cause um, that's plays into it. But um, eventually people start wondering, you know, what the hell is this girl doing? She's not showing up to school. Um, she's very off-putting, um, to say the least. And you have... Uh, so we're trying to figure out what's going on with her. And a per- the two people who've taken the most interest in her are uh, Martin Sheen's character, who's a son of pretty much the richest woman in the in the town um who has been covering for him for the past god knows how many years i mean he would have been 36 of it when this film came out so um so that's that's the mystery she eventually befriends um a cop who's of italian descent so he's looked down upon and a finds um a lover in um Mario who's a 
kid who's just didn't get enough polio shots. Is so he's walking around with a limp the entire movie. <laughs> I love that line, Leia. Mom just forgot. God, yeah. So many kids, so many brothers and sisters. Uh, yeah. So she just lost track. So, um, of course, obviously there has to be something sinister when you have a a story like this, and after the um rich woman threatens to uh just cut off the lease because whatever it is the lease to the house is paid paid for three years and well she's just angry because she can't get her jars for jams and you know finds something in the basement that scares her knocks over the door falls down the stairs kills her kills gets killed so basically just just because Jodie Foster's character doesn't know how to start a car, <laughs> she's able to pull pull Mario in, who's the nephew of the police officer. Um and they he's just having a ball covering this up, despite she he doesn't really know what happens until uh Martin Sheen comes investigating. And he's a real like Definitely one of the most hateable people you're gonna see in cinema in this one, and more hateable oh than he, God, dude. more hateable, more hateable than he was in the Dead Zone, uh, the Stephen King adaptation, where he is essentially, if he's elected president, he is going to blow up the world. <laughs> so. Uh, just the way he forces his way into the house at the beginning of the movie. Oh yeah, and total power play. Like he's doing his best for the total power plays. Walking in with mud. Like, oh, it's your birthday. Up oh. and spanks spanks Jodie Foster. She freaks out. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. It's an American tradition because. She's been. They've been living abroad. She, Jody, we do know that Jodie Foster and her father had been living in England. So, um, so oh what's? So angry watching that shit. Like what the? Smack. Yeah. No. It, it's just like it, as I say. Until things finally kind of stabilize after we kill the kill his mother. <laughs> uh, it's a very hard movie to to find anybody to relate to because as i say jodie foster's character is essentially acting like an adult and i don't want to well and as i say we already know there's a casualty the moment the movie starts and let's just say the casualty is her father who is dying we find out it's dying of an illness who's so impressed by his daughter's maturity and determined to make sure she's free goes and rents this house for three years, paid up front. He's a famous poet, so he's going to do it. And at some point, we, when, uh, we find out that he, he, was going, he was dying and that he studied the, the uh, coastal waters, how everything goes in and out. Basically, like one, night, one day, gives, gives his daughter a bottle of potassium cyanide in the event that her deadbeat mother comes into her life again and just walks off into the sea knowing that his (laughs) knowing that his body is not going to be recovered 
<laughs> I love it. I mean, yeah, it's like there's not a lot of there's there's no vi- there's virtually no violence in this movie except to a hamster, which again makes Martin Sheen the most hateable. This is the most hateable Martin Sheen you're ever going to see. Yeah, it's like I did miss the whole illness part though. Like I had imagined, like he was like more like the Bukowski type. Oh, he would have that. That one would be drinking yourself to death, essentially. Um, which is well, I mean, which, like wine and stuff. He could have gotten drunk on wine. I just oh. I missed the illness thing. Oh yeah, no, it's 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 all pretty much laid out. Like once once the uh, Mario character is exposed to the story, basically starts the covering up, even of the people who have died. All you can say is that Rin has only murdered one person so far. I mean, she's going to be, she's definitely perhaps culpable in the event of Martin Sheen's mother, but that's more of just disposing of evidence. Like Robert Durst, if Robert Durst got off, Jodie Foster would get off on that one. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't think anyone would act, would miss that guy. Oh, the mother. Well, the the mother in this one. No, I think. Oh, the she, mother. Not, yeah. I was thinking Martin. Or, oh no, that's 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 the end where we basically yeah, we basically do she. So Jodie Foster's mother, being a dead Pete, does find her, and this movie starts on October thirty first, so two weeks prior, um, as the mother was trying to get back into her life. Jodie Foster prepares tea and uses the white powder her father left her <laughs> to prepare it and it's the famous like oh this tea tastes like almonds <laughs> and uh yeah like surprisingly it doesn't sound overly painful i guess when you watch movies like arsenic and old lace it's not that bad a way to go if it works right because then, of course, you have uh, the uh, James Bond movie Skyfall with Javier Bardem's character, who's out for revenge against the MI6 and primarily the leader of MI6M. And as he's in prison, he at one point, oh, do you know what happens when potassium cyanide doesn't work? And he just basically removes pretty much his entire jaw to show you what can happen. Sweet. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm I'm over exaggerating it a bit, but he's pulling out pretty much any kind of structure that would make his uh allow him to eat, and a little so little that's more. Not the origin story of Jaws, then. No, 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 no. Um, nope, they didn't get around to that in the da- Daniel Craig movies. Um, so because it's basically its own James Bond franchise. Uh. If anybody's interested, I don't know. I mean, it might be we're two weeks down the road, but it was twelve ninety nine as of uh, the twenty sixth of January twenty twenty two on iTunes. So I finally finally grabbed it. Not tomorrow. I think it's no time to die. In case I said tomorrow never dies, that's not really that's not one really worth it. Um, so yeah. And I mean, this is a definitely a '70s movie on top of everything. 
Um, it's oh, yeah. def- it's definitely got this um, what they call new Hollywood vibe. It's very independently made. I would have I would imagine it was if it wasn't for the snow and everything, it it could have been shot in a couple of, about a month. I mean, Jodie Foster did five movies in 1976. So, I like how it kind of lets you fill in of some blanks too. Like it doesn't just tell you like everything. It just gives you some details, and you kind of get it, and you kind of fill in the blanks. I'm just kind of stuck on like how much of a piece of crap was her dad, man? Like her mom. Like sure, maybe she was a deadbeat. But he just straight up walked into the ocean and left her cyanide. Like, hey, if she shows up, be a murderer. <laughs> uh, it's not about murder. It's about defending yourself. He's, it's not really, I mean, he, if anything, he's instilled, he's a great father, at least when it comes to fatherly goals. He's instilled all of he's his. not being around. Well, I mean, yeah, not being around, but when you're going to die anyhow, like die on your own terms, I guess is what I'm saying. He's also a poet too. Like he might've been overly dramatic. I mean, you've known some artsy people I'm sure in your life as well. And they tend to be a little like, come on, man, chill out a little bit. It's not all that bad. Well, when it, when it, when it comes to artists, at least the artistic type, I think, uh, and I can even, um, you know, thinking, you know, one one night uh, laying, laying laying in my bed stoned, um, you know, everything's not too bad. Everything's not too bad, but I I don't care if I wake up. <laughs> like, I mean, I I said it to somebody. I'm I was, I was, some some girl I was flirting with. You know, and we're just having conversation. It's like. I mean, look, I got a video game made as far as I'm concerned. I was a member of the Cubs organization for a day. I've cock-blocked Billy Corgan at a wrestling show. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I really, is it going to get better? <laughs> so, yeah, no. So the artistic element, and I guess it's a good thing I haven't bred. Um, <laughs> because... No, no, I, I can totally romanticize about this. Like, I'm one of those guys who, yeah, Hunter S. Thompson, you, you did what was right, blowing your brains out because you set standards for yourself. <laughs> no, no. you metal walking into the ocean like that. Yeah. No, you shouldn't be doing this stuff because, you know, you should consider the other people around you. But with our uh, father figure, if he was as ill as they suggest as Jodie Foster's character suggests. Um, no, I mean, he, he basically like, well, I'm not going to be here. I'm definitely not going to be here for the entire three years. We're renting this place out. So I, 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 I can, so I can see it. And as I say, it's, I haven't had any offspring, so don't worry about me doing anything crazy like that. I mean, I've fantasized about it. Don't get me wrong. Oh no, no, no. We we've we've all we've all had we've all had those moments. But like, I'm just and as I say, but I'll, I'll be I'll be up front. Yeah, I've got that as a single forty something now. It's like, um, 
No, my I, girlfriend will leave sometimes to go to the store, and she'll be gone for a while. And I start to legit worry that she's not going to come back. And well, she'll be alone, with kids. Well, you know, at least at least we have that stereotype of leaving for a pack of smokes. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's it's a common joke. Like, and he left for a pack of cigarettes and never came back. Um, and I've seen that in an anime before, actually. So, um, uh, well, and, and it, it wasn't suicide or anything like that. The uh, series is Gantz, uh, G E. I'm sorry, G A N T Z. Oh yeah, I've seen it with the big ball. And the... Yeah, right. And you have the uh, like the third or fourth episode. You have the guy who who they survived the game. Has brought brings a weapon with him and starts trying to. Uh, who's got a kid? Um, and the and the big drama point is his wife can't nurse, and um, he goes he get, so he's buddies. He's just now going to take over the his Tok his uh, Tokyo um, spot in Tokyo with that weapon, and we. And um, he leaves for for the game one night. I think it was that Gantz the ball is hosting, and of course he doesn't come back. And he left for, but he thought he was just leaving for a pack of smokes. And completely forgot about that. Yeah, and then there's uh, there's a anyone else would ever bring that show up to me in my life. I haven't even thought of Gantz and smack in years, dude. Well, I I. I haven't watched it all. I mean, I did buy the complete set and I did got to get around to that. Same thing with Excel Saga. There was a, like, I, I thought th- it was a weird time for anime for me because things were starting to look like more expensive. I'm more of a 90s kid. So I recently. Uh, yeah, did you get the original one or there's a newer one that's a little more CGI? No, the I'd say the original. We're talking early 2000s, not the. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I know they did a bunch of live. Yeah, I I know they did a live action version too. So no shit, there's live action guns. Yeah, oh, I'm looking that up. Yep. So <laughs> yeah, so and there's a robot chicken sketch about the snap, uh, Thanos's snap, which opens with uh, Thor driving the axe into him and. <sighs> What do you have to say, Thanos? You should have aimed for the head. And as he's snapping, Thor goes, No, no, with concussions, you don't want to. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and you see the snap happen, and like you, you get bits like a, a father walking out the door. Look, I'm just going to the gas station. Look, baby, I'm just going to the gas station to grab some smokes. <laughs> and then he blips. <laughs> so. So yeah, I mean it's I don't know. I would rather my I'd I'd rather know that my um significant other or my father did something very dramatic, like as I say, Hunter S. Thompson blowing his brains out with a shotgun or walking off into the sea than uh picking up a pack going going out going out for a pack going out for a pack pack of smokes and never coming back. Which is essentially what, and I guess, um, essentially what uh, Rin does with her, with her mother. Like, I'd rather you've walked off into the sea. Why are you doing so? Why are Why are you coming back? <laughs>
did you at least bring the smokes? Like, come on. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a very dark character study. Like, it's I'm surprised it's on Shudder because the only blood you see is the uh, mother after the um, cellar door bashes her brains in. I mean, and, like, the only R-rated stuff, I guess, would be the hamster side. And um, the really creep thing about the 70s, and this even includes the Godfather. Like, and yeah, we're going to imply that you have just seen Jodie Foster nude. Yeah, dude, I thought I was going to have to, like, smash my Xbox against the wall or something. Is this illegal? Like, they allowed this? What the fuck? Well, uh, I I bring that up because you have, like... um, in the Godfather, I guess the um, woman who played Abalonia, um, Michael Corleone's first wife, the Sicilian, and you know the love scene, they undress her. I guess she was only sixteen when that occurred. I mean, granted, that was shot in Italy, but it's still like that's eh, a little weird. And then like. You got, you got Jodie Foster getting in the bed with somebody who's let's just say three years older, you know, maybe a sixteen-year-old, and like, no, I, I like, I don't think it's uh, like it's it's weird because the eighties did this a lot too. It's like, yeah, we're interested in seeing high schoolers having sex with each other. It caught me so off guard, dude. I swear to God, I'm not lying to you. I literally yelled at the TV, ah, child butt! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a, um, yeah, it's, I mean, I don't know why, like, uh, why you would think this would even be, like, there's, I don't know what's, what's going on with that. And it's like, and I say, it's really twisted, twisted, like, do we really want to know about this stuff? I guess obviously there's people who do, but like this should never have been a thing. I mean, even in the eighties, like uh, I remember going to um, wizard world 2018, I want to say. And um, we went to the uh, Tom Wilson uh, panel. He played Biff Tannen and back to the future. And of course, you get one nerd by the end of the time talking about, "Hey, have you seen um, um, the Tom Cruise movie with?" Uh, oh shoot, what is it? Oh, Tom Cruise. Okay, no, no, we're talking early Tom Cruise. Um, Legend. No, no, no. Uh, not okay. Let's see. Uh, it was all the right moves. Uh, the football movie, and like, oh, have you seen? And he was talking to this guy. This nerd comes. So we, I saw uh, some like uh, all the right moves, and you, you get to see Leah Thompson, who plays, you know, um, the mother, the mother in the in Back to the Future. You get to see her nude, and like Tom Wilson plays it off great. Yeah. You know, oh, really? And you know, tries to move off on that, move away from that question. Funny story. I did like Tom Wilson was the first guy I ever drove around uh Peoria for the jukebox comedy club, but 
when I was working at the uh, Mark Twain Hotel. Yep, Tom Wilson. All right, so very cool guy. Never been to Peoria. He could he could recall Decatur because they shot the movie The Informant there with Matt Damon. But <laughs> so yeah, so we had a lot of twi- as they say that it's a seventies movie through and through. It's a story that uh, it's a film about a story that they want you to just focus on the story. And it's funny that you say like you know they. They don't fill in. They they let they leave it to you to fill in a bunch of the blanks. It's like, yeah, but this is based off a novel from the like the screenplay is based off the writer's novel. So it's like, was this a popular novel? Which again, like, I thought we got our I thought we got all our child shagging out of the way with Lolita, which is a one of my favorite police songs. Uh, don't stand so close to me. <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely a, a scene that didn't need to be there. But then I feel that way about a lot of love scenes. Actually. Oh, like, they don't actually need to be there. Oh, I I've written a blog about it. Um, you can find it on maineventofthedead.com, dot com, where you could also inquire about my screenplay for a zombie independent pro wrestling zombie movie. Um, uh, the I wrote I wrote a blog basically saying like if you're and granted there's not there's not really it's not really a love scene in the sense that okay she gets naked which is the more disturbing thing about it like okay did she really need to have to get naked to go into the bed with her when you're gonna fade the black like that's that's a little creepy like oh yeah this is like we're not we're not throwing in a sex scene just to fill a few minutes off of the story which is what i wrote that blog about like yeah, I mean, it's cool getting to see Angelina's boobs getting fondled by Elias Codius, best known as Casey Jones from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies and uh, Cyborg 2. But no, you, like, you're doing that just to fill a few minutes of runtime. Uh, so it's almost more disturbing that we decide, yeah, we're going to show off, uh, we're going to make you think we're showing you Jodie Foster naked and we're not going to actually do anything with it we're just doing it to show you like that's that's definitely you could have worked with implied nudity what have you i mean that's the reason this movie's a rated r i mean the story's pretty dark and twisted as as i'm just got it playing in the background as a visual and martin sheen's about to kill a hamster um like it's a it's a, as I say, it's a product of its time. But with that said, though, I think the kind of story, and I've seen a lot of movies miss the mark with it. Recently watched a Katie Holmes movie from 2002 called Abandon, which, yeah, they, uh, that one really uh, uh, missed the mark with psychosis and smart people. Um see okay um i mean with the age of like it'd be an interesting movie to see be be remade just because of the uh and brought up to a modern time just to see how well you could pull this this con off in a uh in the eight the information era we're in i mean it really serves as more of a character study honestly like 
because I've I've met I have met girls who are definitely like feel like they've been forced into adulthood at a real early age. Like my best friend was a high school dropout because it was going to be too much trouble to stay in school. I mean, and her dad's crazy and her mom was a drug dealer. Um, <laughs> so, you know, fending for herself. And I've, so I've, I've met a lot of people like this and it's an, <laughs> an interesting character study in that which I think is the entire draw of the film. As I say, it takes a while to get into like we got a, Oh man, we did not really, do we really have to see the cigarette go into the hamster? I agree. Hamster thrown in the fire. Yeah. We have to see that visual, but damn. Um, It's a uh, like, but it's interesting, especially now with the uh, information age that we are in and, I was uh, taking care of a customer today and she was saying, oh, I remember when our dri- our social security numbers were on our driver's license. It's like, well, that had to be before 1996. Um, but, you know, we didn't have anything that we could. It was very difficult to actually steal an identity back in that time. So, I mean, it's a the the movie thrives on not really a lot of stuff happening, honestly. like. Um, we gotta just cut, make sure people think the dad is still alive. Yeah, that, how how stupid was that Italian cop though? Like he really bought that that was her dad. <laughs> um, I don't know. I thought for at least the seventies, I thought the makeup job was good. Um, so we're talking. He's Carl's uh, Gregory's referring to the uh, uh, scene where the cop basically says, "Look." I know something's not right. And this is the only friendly per adult in the entire town. And, but he had uh, Jodie Foster plant and her lover planned it well enough that he was ready to just go and do the outfit bit. So they kind of expected it. And um, now the cop is just shows shocked that, Oh, it's disproves everything I thought of. <laughs> I think that I think the cop knew what was going on after and that's the kind of an unresolved line in this movie is that her lover doing all these things despite limping you know burying the bodies uh, from the cellar he gets pneumonia and when uh he fought when uh, Jodie Foster finds out he's in the hospital, pretty much on the iron lung. Uh, that you know, oh, I've heard he's been, you know, he's really he really cares about you. He's been delirious in his sleep, talk saying everything. And it's like I wouldn't be surprised the cops like, yeah, Mrs. Haslett was a bitch anyhow. So, <laughs> um, you know, mocked me for being not being a fifth generation American, you know. So I think a lot of people are probably it, it'd be interesting to see how the town was reacting, I suppose, to the uh banker from Grem the uh old woman from Gremlins who gets thrown out of her wheel her uh um electric chair <laughs> into the cold. Yeah, I, just, 
I do wonder what happens after the credits. Like well, I mean, the movie ends. What happens now? Well, I mean, would anybody really be disappointed if Martin Sheen's character disappeared? Like, honestly, the ta- like it could be tw- you could go so many routes with this, make it very twisted. Like, and the town is basically just nominated uh, Jodie Foster as queen, and yeah. we'll cover we'll cover up. It's a it's a yeah. bad it, it's a bad example for the, all the kids in the town, but. You know, hey, she's she's solving a lot of problems. So, you know, small towns. Yeah, look, at, look at that Ren girl down the down the lane did. You can at least go get a part time job. Right. It's yeah. Oh yeah. See, too much pressure on the rest of the kids. Like, I guess it's a statement on, you know that. Uh, people, I don't want to say mature differently or uh, can be, um, I mean, it's a nature versus nurture argument. And basically what uh, Rin is, is the product of solely nurture. And, but, it, you know, it's it states, you know, does the nature actually ever... Look what nature does. Look, look what the routine does. And would you rather your child be like Rin? Or, I mean, it's really, at least from a parenting standpoint, it would be, would you rather your child be a little adult? Or do you want your child to be childish? Oh, no, I kind of got brainwashing vibes off of her. Well, you say, you know, but again, it's, as I, as I say, it's not like I haven't, like, my friend, her father is nuts. I mean, he was a schizophrenic, probably still is, I hope. I mean, I don't wish death upon anybody. Um, not, you know, not to say I was wishing it upon him. Uh, but, um, I mean, the guy's a the guy was a Menza member. So, I mean, he definitely had stuff to take knowledge to take from if he ever got it straight and no yeah, not... all of those bits of people are crazy man that's a, that's how you become a genius like you you lose a little to gain a little well i mean that's well that's just gonna further drive me nuts because it's like ah come on <laughs> okay well, this does way, got it. i mean yeah, it, i, I, I do kind of get those vibes like I, I almost kind of feel like maybe her dad like kind of brainwashed her a little bit because she's she has got like this like brainwashy like kind of culty like vibe to her well she's she's as I say she's gone it's gone full adult already and I wouldn't say culty brainwashed vibe as I say it's just she's been told her, she's been and I guess you could say well that's brainwashing but she's basically been raised by him to be smart to be independent to rely on yourself to poison your mother when she come out if she ever finds you uh, hey I'd have to talk to you poison for her Russ I'd have to it's... talk I'd have to talk to my mother or maybe have her watch this movie and 
I don't know. She she I don't know if she saw this movie. She would have been twenty. I think moms would dig this movie. Okay. I'll throw that out there. I, I would, all of our moms would probably love this movie. All right, because my mom came from a home where my I I never met my uh her father because of um how big of a dick he was to the family. And so it's kind of like, well, what if, mom? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, it, it, and it's, it, it, believe me, it's a totally different, different dynamic than this. I mean, my grandma was trying to hold the family together, and I see, like, I could go and psychoanalyze my mom all day. Um, <laughs> good, good woman uh who's who's probably would leave you alone at 13 probably not but i in a sense like you see that's that's just where as i say i could go into the psychoanalytical side like she would she was a devoted mother but as she is but like yeah i'm basically i i you know i i better like half the time i worry about like oh after the bank job you know the bank drama i'm going through it's like well we that might have a case i got i've got some ideas but then it's like um all it takes is like a public hearing and the guy reading my blogs and it's like oh you said all this and you were pretty clear this was uh who you were talking about then why is it different with the bank yeah it's so yeah but i'm just saying it's 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 a um i don't know it's a i guess the the big thing about it is it's more of a uh i guess it could be more interpreted interpreted as a feminist tale and um and basically telling telling us that the child if raised well enough neither needs a father or a mother and if anything, the moral of the movie is you still can't make it on your own because as uh, we don't know what happens to Mario. I mean, he's as uh, his uncle said, the cop, you know, well, if it wasn't for the antibiotics, he'd be dead from pneumonia. Yep. Um, you know, so no basically what, you still need someone to start the car, huh? Well, that 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 that's there's those little conveniences, but um you know you can't you just can't isolate yourself and be only on your own is the um lesson that rin learns in this movie and too bad she's got to kill everybody who (laughs) too bad that she's gotta she's gotta kill half the people in her life to to still keep the right balance i think the tagline of the movie is Ask Rin Wilson no questions, she'll tell you no lies. Ask questions and somebody will die. I'm living with the Migliortis now. <laughs> Migliorti, yes. So it's a, yeah, it's a, uh, incredible, like, yeah, it's a, no question it is like now i'm just thinking like i own a copy of taxi driver one of those like oh it's cheap right now special edition yeah i'll buy it 
never opened it. It's and you got to be careful with that because um, I once bought a copy of the producers, the original, with um, Gene Wilder, and um, I opened it up. It's, it's supposed to be the two disc special edition. Bought it from a five dollar bin, no disc. And of course, you know this is years after I actually made the purchase. So, um, currently fighting with Funimation over where is my digital code, my digital da- my digital code for uh, the girl who leapt through time. Like, I yeah, there's no indication that that was ever supposed to expire. Um, granted, I mean. I I I I pick a lot of fights just for the sake of picking fights. I hate to say it. I don't want. I don't think I'm petty. Believe me, if I was petty, oh, my former employer would burn. <laughs> but in a figurative sense, in a figurative sense. <laughs> but um, yeah, I can. I I can I can. Once this, as I say, it's a tough first act to get through i think is the big thing to take away from this movie like because again jodie foster is playing an adult pretty much the entire film and it's not comforting (laughs) at all so yeah she's an unnerving little girl yes um really that's something i said like I could see this like okay she's 13 here 1991 is 15 years later so she'd be 28. I could see this being the story of Clarice Stalling. Like her name was Clarice. You know her Yeah, I mean her father died, I mean in a in a kind of noble sense. Like he died because so that she may live in this movie and her and Clarice's father died, you know, in the line of duty. So like I would say Rin needs Hannibal Lecter in her life. Why? She needs to be eaten? Uh, No, Hannibal. No, like it's one of the finer points of Hannibal. Like uh in silence the land show her what to do with the bodies no no it's not it's not it it, there's the protege element there's the fascination element they address in the sequel to hannibal uh to (laughs) silence the lamb lambs hannibal um no what i'm saying is that that's what we're eating by the intestines right hannibal the opera. Oh yeah, where he right where he gets a guy. Yeah, that shit was metal, dude. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just saying that, but the the relationship between Starling and Han- and Elector, you have the um, like when he's escaped when he escaped after killing Charles Napier and wearing the other guy's face, um, inside out. I'm really disappointed. Like I spent a lot of time finding the Funko Pop of Hannibal Lecter with the nightstick, and then I failed to realize, oh, there's a bloody version. <laughs> After he's done all the batting around, um, what I'm saying is, but when Lecter Lecter escapes and Starling's roommate says, is worried for, her, 
Why, why do you think he won't come out, come after you? Uh, don't ask me that. He would just consider it rude. <laughs> Lecter had such a such a code, and it, it's even a, addressed in Hannibal, and probably better done in Red Dragon. That um, no, Hannibal is not going to kill somebody unless he thinks it is for the betterment of society. I mean, he'll kill in self defense, but. Uh, it, he'll he'll kill in a perceived self defense, um, like uh, with um, the two guards and the the Italian guy, you know, who tracked him down. Um, he'll 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 kill if it if it's for his own livelihood, but you know, otherwise, like, oh, the uh, gosh, that uh, baritone clarinet player was so awful awful the baltimore philharmonic and that's that's in red that's brought up in red dragon like uh oh he's he's basically the first scene of the movie is he when he's going to get captured by the edward norton character it's like he's he's actually feeding the sponsors of the philharmonic orchestra in baltimore the baritone player so the baritone clarinet player if baritone clarinet is a thing ally from ally's accessory shop on etsy she can let me know so uh, i'm just saying i can see when you're this cold and everything is basically been broken down to your own survival instinct yeah i could definitely see how this character definitely prepared uh, Jodie Foster to play uh, Clary Star Starling, and I mean, never mind. Again, she's done. I, I mean, I really hope she had. I mean, besides having to do five movies in 1976 at the age of 14, I really hope that uh, Jodie Foster didn't really have a lot of trauma outside of the movie business. Because, like, oh, jeez. Yeah, I really know nothing about Jodie Foster. Well, she's she's been very she's been very reserved. She's never officially came out, even with uh two you know two partners, <laughs> like um. for nobody's business. No, I, I grant no, and it it is good. A lot of people thought, though, for the sake of the movement, that you know. It'd be great if you'd represent. Smack the movement. What's the movement ever done for her? Uh, you know, well, that's a problem that I have. Like, people have this idea that, like, they like Jodie Foster, like, owes a movement or a group of people or something. The reality is, she doesn't owe anybody anything. She doesn't have to do shit. Well, that's that's part of that's part of the. Well, that's part of the idea of, and now I'm thinking about the movement. And I'm thinking of uh, under siege, which there we there is a possibility of Seagal Seagal podcast at some point because under siege, you cut the credits and the uh, last frame, which is just another tribute to the USS Missouri. It, it fits ninety for chills parameters, but man, there was a slight pause there when. when when you said coming out, I was really hoping you would say Steven Seagal coming out as gay. 
<laughs> uh, hey, Steve, Steven, you know what? This is uh, not based on anything. I'm just saying live your truth, man. And I don't think your truth is trying to be a double agent for the United States, Belarus, and Russia. <laughs> I, I, you know what? Maybe you're running from something. I mean, how can you... like a robot chicken sketch, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, this is, this is what the podcast is for. Like, yeah, come on. Live your truth, Steven. <laughs> Never mind. I think he's friends with Frank Dukes. <laughs> Frank Dukes, Bloodsport. The guy the movie is based off of, yeah. allegedly. Which again, I don't want to. I don't want to mess with Frank Dukes because I know he can do the coin trick, and I know he can do the dim mock. <laughs> so, um, as Joey Styles said about New Jack, oh, so he said he's killed four people. Well, I'm of the opinion that you listen to everything and you just believe half of it. So Joey Styles, Joey Styles thinks he's killed two people new jack killed two people <laughs> so i i mean we know he attempted a murder with a vic grimes but otherwise <laughs> yeah um, i did i did a podcast a while back about new jack and uh after it was done uh uh, the host said, like, yeah, I thought this subject would be funny. Uh, it turns out that it wasn't. Like, I don't know, man. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think it, it's not, like... It It was never... New Jack was never... Des- uh, I don't know. It's, like, that's... Well, this was a show that was supposed to be on YouTube and whatnot. And like, yeah, I thought wrestling, uh, stabbings, and wrestling would be a funnier topic. Like, yeah. Okay, you're all right. Here, here's my new Jack. Well, I've got a couple new Jack stories, and I got to save at least one of them for um, uh, Colt Cabana's podcast, um, Wrestling Anonymous. Wrestling Anonymous. Um, but with New Jack, I wrestled in uh, like my first show outside of the bullshit that was Peoria wrestling. And I'm not going to take that back. Um, Like I didn't start training with a real professional. I mean, with a established professional until I was 26. So I wasted three years. Um, I digress, but um, we're, we're doing so, but the Peoria promotion, we got conned in by a guy. Um, or the owner of it, Norman Calloway. I'm going to drop names here. He he was Apocalypse was his name. Um, he he got conned by a guy who's um Nathan White. He called himself Rick Osborne. He's the son of Bill White, who is a member of Cauliflower Alley. Um, but I I, I had to go and deal with a lot of his bullshit too. Like, no, you didn't have a feud with Ricky Steamboat in uh, Puerto Rico. You jobbed to him, but come on. Um, But this guy was able to talk him into changing the name of Tri-County Wrestling, which was a stupid name because the counties in that case would have been Mason, P. 
Peoria and Tazewell. It's a real loose tri county. Um, he went and uh, so he basically talked Norman uh, Norman into uh, oh well you can have an alliance with the Thunder Wrestling Federation. Not even have to change your letters. The Tri County Wrestling Federation, the Thunder Wrestling Federation. The Thunder Wrestling Federation is where New Cat New Jack stabbed the guy. Uh, this happened year a couple of years afterwards. Um, no, actually, probably only a year and a half. But um, so I started wrestling November. My debut was November two thousand two, um, and then I get talked into actually making a trip down to Georgia for Thunder Wrestling Federation. Um, basically, the guy who ended up owning or running next generation wrestling, which was the, the sequel. Um, he didn't want to drive. He didn't want to ride with certain people. So, you know, Hey, yeah, I want to do this. It's good experience. I wasn't working at the time. So we go down to Georgia. I get concussed in a match severely. Like I get knocked out by a double drop kick. And then the guys thought, well, he was able to tag himself back in. He must be fine. No, I throw, I go and throw some fire, and then I just look at you, stare at planks blankly. Like I was, yeah. So I don't want to give away too many of the details. Again, good story, but needless to say, and then also on that show, another one of the other guys who rode with us got concussed because the guy called a suplex and then instead of going backwards, he decides to just throw the guy forward. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not saying I'm just saying he's an idiot. I'm not going to call him a douche. Um, no, funny, funny. A, a he knows what a suplex is. Well, and, and the and the and the owner and the owner of Thunder Wrestling, the owner of Thunder Wrestling Federation said we didn't know how to bump. That's why we got hurt. So, yeah. So, needless to say, when I heard New Jack stabbed a guy sixteen times, I thought that was justice. <laughs> it, it happened in the Thunder Wrestling Federation, so. No, I didn't feel bad for the guy. I mean, he tagged him how many times? I mean, he had ample warnings and stuff. Yeah, and never. <laughs> well, yeah, no, you, you don't. You, you, you go unless you trust the guy. You go as soft as all hell if you think a guy a guy has a reputation. Yeah, no. It's... I, I've been I've been concussed by Ian Rotten and screwed up because. Oh, I got concussed. I just want to get to the back. And it's like, uh, I, I, I powdered, I powdered and just tried to get to the back. And it's like, you didn't sell for him. He uh, didn't give you that hepatitis, did he? I'm sorry? Ian Rotten? Ian Rotten. Did he uh, have hepatitis and like works at Taco Bell or some shit now? I don't know. I, I, he's still run. IWA is still running. Um, IWA Midsoft still running. Um, no, I, I know he's a diabetic, but um, I thought it was one of the rottens. Um, may have been Axel. I don't know. I don't have. I got. A, I got. A, I got Ian Rotten stories. I mean, 
I again. It was from a while back, like that one of them. They had a show in a barn. Well, and, uh, Ian Ian, Ian ran. Ian ran all his shows out of the barn down in um, Southern Kentucky. No, I know that. I know the story of the barns. I mean, Punk and Hero went ninety minutes in the barn. Um, so no, I'm from. Some people got sick. It was a few years ago. Oh well, I don't know. I I haven't. You see, I haven't. I haven't ran into Ian in. Um, last time I, I I ran into Ian was thirteen years ago now. So, and um, no, did a tryout match for IWA because at that time Ian was always looking for buildings. So he ended up in Belleville, Bellevue, Illinois, just outside of Peoria, and. Um, he was doing tryout matches, tryout shows, and um, I wrestled on one. He dug the guy who, like my opponent, really should grab that notebook with his name. It wasn't really the name wasn't really anything remarkable, but good superstar Billy Graham gimmick. A uh, guy flew in from Toronto to do the show. Flew in, flew, or I hope, yeah, I hope he flew. Well, I don't know. I hope he didn't fly. It's not that long. I mean, it's an eight-hour drive, but what have you. He he came in from Canada to do a tryout match in Peoria for IWA. This isn't the IWA of CM Punk. Um, and, um, you know, we had our match. He was really, he loved the, Ian loved the gimmick on him. And then he turned to me and said, look, it wasn't bad. You didn't, what you do isn't bad. It's just, but I'm not saying it's that good. And then, um, I hear you got a big mouth and like, like, you know, I don't have a big mouth. I have a heart. I am very harsh, but I guess it brings us back to this movie. (laughs) Don't ask me, you know, don't ask me any questions. I'll tell you no lies. Uh, If you ask a question, I'm going to burn something. (laughs) Uh, Be it Peoria wrestling or like, how dare that carnival goof disrespect you like that? Oh no, I, I honestly, my history at the end, I thought that was a compliment. In all honesty, like, hey, we're to the point where, all right, you appreciate what I did. I might not, you know, I might not be somebody who's going to draw you money, but hey, you, you don't see money in me. I give you that, but hey, at least you know I can do it. Um, yeah, which the draw. <laughs> Ian wasn't on the show. Ian Ian knows he's not a draw. I, I think, he, well, or I think he grew out of it by the time he actually had people like Punk, uh, Jimmy Jacobs, uh, Tyler Black. Once those people came through, I mean, once once he saw, once young talent was established, Ian's all right. But <laughs> I'm I'm saying, I mean, I got other, I got Ian Ron stories to boot, so I'm not gonna again. Who knows? I've got I, Ian jokes just from <laughs> watching wrestling. Well, yeah, no, it's he's he's an easy. I don't punk. know personally. <laughs> no, he, he's an he 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 doesn't do himself any favors. Um, but I will say if you can, if the WWE Network still has it, look for the Taipei Death Match with him and Axel Rotten. Just saw that a while back. That's uh, I call that one the uh, the fight over the Ferris wheel. <laughs> Fight over the Ferris wheel. I get it. 
Yeah. In my head, it, it was booked to where uh, that there are two carnies fighting over who can oh. run the wheel. <laughs> Uh, you see, I can't really talk too much about Axe. I didn't know Axel at all. So um, I think I may have ran into it one one show. Uh, I don't I either. Hey, Ian Rotten, shine on, you crazy diamond. <laughs> I mean, I've met, I've met Balls, Mahoney, um, Tommy Dreamer. That's guy I would have loved to meet, dude. Tommy, Balls Mahoney looked like he'd, he'd be a good time. Oh, listen to the art of wrestling with Colt Cabana. There's plenty of Balls Mahoney stories. Um, and Tommy Dreamer, I think, is a good guy. Little, little behind. He's a he's a little too uh, Undertaker. I think is a problem. Like um, Undertaker basically saying, "Yeah, I don't think it's as good as it was." Now that people aren't, and a part of me says, "Yeah, I think." Uh, right. <laughs> a part of a, a part a part of yeah a part of me says says um like i was a like my my way to professional wrestling was i was a you know started with martial arts at seven i went into high amateur wrestling at 12 i needed the i decide you know after realizing i wasn't going to be a computer programmer i decided to follow my next passion which was wrestling um and i thought to make sure i have a reputation i fought in tough man contests and boxing and I get there and like you mentioned Dan Gable, the greatest wrestler of all time. And he had the Hall of Fame, the Wrestling Hall of Fame and Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame in Waterloo, Iowa, named after him. Um, you, you know, you say Dan Gable and people like, huh, in the locker room. And it's like, you don't like, come on, people. You got to learn. You there's like i do kind of like the uh concept of uh bill watts i think bill watts is a racist piece of garbage outside of that and i don't usually agree with after mark madden decided to try giving rick flair a platform i don't usually agree with that guy anymore <laughs> um but um bill watts had a rule in mid-south wrestling like he encouraged you to get into bar fights his wrestlers get in the bar fights and if you lost a bar fight you lost your job because you're not protecting the business smack yeah uh you know i i think uh you know it it, it took a while but professional wrestling is an art more than it is well it's, it's an art as in the and it's a it's a sport in the sense that figure skating is a sport and when it comes down to it, the arts is a little more important. It's like why martial arts, like we have mixed martial arts is like, and we like, we didn't want to be great at one art. We just wanted to beat some ass. <laughs> like, so. Yeah, it, was, it was also very much a product, a product of its time too. Yeah. It's like pro wrestling right now is very much a product of now. Like, Oh no, you're used to be, a tr- like you earned talking like you didn't just talk like now like everybody gets to talk back in the day you had to earn that shit you earned that mic time well it's it's not an issue of earning mic time it's an issue of um well that's the thing like i can say with for- characters and smacking gymnastics no i i don't, I don't I, a fight 
Well, my my thing is with um, well, it's not like I didn't want to do. I, well, here's the thing with wrestling. It's like I didn't know. Like when I got in there, I thought, well, I'm gonna have to brawl. I might have to learn how to dive. I wanted to be Bret Hart, and then when you're just screwing around in the ring and you figure out how to do a split-legged moonsault, like, oh, the body, like, once you realize that it's it's dangerous, but once you realize the body can, your body can do so much if you just put your mind to it, it, like, I, any kind of spot I'm appreciative of, um, you know, it's, it's, like, I, I can I can go crazy all the time. I can appreciate crazy all the time. And the characters, the characters are what sold professional wrestling to begin with. Like you kept it simple in the day. Gorgeous George was obnoxious, and you wanted to see him get his ass beat, and he'd basically do what he could to avoid doing that. You've seen that, and um, and it's it's no different than today. I think it's just as I say. I I'm disappointed that you don't have to be tough to be a professional wrestler. And, and that's even an insult. When I say that it's because you have to be tough. You don't have to be a, you don't have to be able to beat anybody's ass anymore. And I'm kind of disappointed about that. Um, I hey, mean, Shawn Michaels, couldn't, he was a world champion. He got his ass whooped. <laughs> Uh, the, the story stories are conflicting on that one, but uh, Peoria actually is a tough town for on wrestlers. Like that's where we we stabbed a nasty boy, man. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's a, uh, but I don't know. I guess in a to wrap everything, you know, around obviously the little girl who lived down the lane. It's I guess my professional, like, I guess I really respect the character because it's because of her, like, I'm just going to be real. I mean, you can say she's brainwashed and I'm, and I'm just like saying, well, she's, I, again, it's a story of nature versus nurture where you don't get to see any of the nurture. And I think that's probably the disturbing thing about it. Um, Like she is she's just, cold, yeah, she's, and it's ironic, honestly. Now we've, we've gone on that wrestling rant, and uh, she's setting up the tea right now to take care of Martin Sheen. <laughs> um, it's like, but it reminds me of the story of how Steve Austin got his moniker. You know, he he's not afraid to say it. You know, he's oh my wife at the time. You know, I'm trying to think of names that are better than Ice Dagger, and I'm just sitting, and she's just put some tea out and like says oh come on come on there come on steven you you don't you got you gotta drink your tea before it becomes stone cold <laughs> like so that's a i mean that's a good way to wrap things around i guess i mean this is it this is definitely i would say you know it's a three-star movie regardless if you're a three out of four or a three out of five guy um maybe three and a half um it's like jodie foster is excellent in it i mean she as you said she has to carry this entire movie and it's kind of crazy when you look at that she was essentially a supporting character in taxi driver the same year and even uh 
you know, crazier that she was in Freaky Friday, which most people have seen, I think. Um, just, you know, if anything, okay, just imagine everybody was impressed by Lindsay Lohan, I think, in Freaky Friday, the remake. So imagine an actual actress doing that role. <laughs> so I guess in a sense, though, it's kind of the same because, you know, the entire body swap thing Jodie Foster is essentially playing an adult in that movie <laughs> after the swap. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's just, like, I just look at that and I haven't looked at, around her filmography. I know she did a movie with uh, Cherry Darling from the Runaways, if I'm correct. Not too long after. That's something I really, as a as somebody who professes himself to be a feminist, like I really do need to do a little more research about the uh, Runaways, the uh, band from the uh, late seventies. Joan Jett was probably the biggest star out of it. Um, Lita Ford. Lita Ford, yeah, she was in it. Uh, Cherry Darling, as I say. Uh, okay, that looks a little question. Box. Yeah, Foxes, 1980. Um, Cherry Curry, I'm sorry, was her name. I think she was the front person of the Runaways, um, who would have been played by, uh, oh, uh, Dakota Fanning. And that's that's something weird about movies, honestly. And I'll just address it as this movie finishes up. You ever feel creepy <laughs> about like seeing a child actress mature? No, I've never actually like followed a child actress. Okay. Well, no, that's all right. I'm just going to throw it out there. So, Christina Ricci in my my case. It's like I always see Wednesday Adams. So oh, okay, see, I wasn't counting her because I, I was like roughly her age. Yeah, no, I'm only she's and I and, and like I'm feeling all creepy about it. Like I don't want to see Wednesday Adams in you know in Black Snake Moan getting all naked and shit. <laughs> like that's that's Wednesday Adams, and it's like eventually I find out oh she's about seven days older than me. I mean, yeah. so 1980 all things and like. No, you grew up with Wednesday Adams. Yes, yes. So, no, it should be cool for me. But I'm just saying... You're not creepy. Well, no, but I'm just saying, like... Okay, Lindsay Lohan, but when Lindsay Lohan goes nuts and everything, and it's like, uh, it's a total spectator show. It's like, well, I don't know. This was the girl from Freaky Friday. We shouldn't really even be sexualizing her. And granted, Freaky Friday was, you know, 98 or so. She was, you know, that puts me at least six years older than her. And, and okay, the balance of my, my range from how much younger I've been with and how much older <laughs> is pretty wide, but it still feels weird type stuff. Like you, like, it, okay, let's, let's bring it up. Let's just bring it back to the Olsen twins. Like I know in uh, Eli Roth's um, Cabin Fever, there's a character who has a shirt basically stating the date they were going to turn 18. 
that kind of creepiness, I guess, is what I'm, yeah. I'm getting at. And never mind. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that's all weird looking, too. Yeah. Like, well, I, I don't know. I guess, like, I, I spent so long without cable or nothing. Like, I didn't get, like, Nickelodeon or nothing. So I'm just, like, I know what iCarly is, but I don't know what any of them look like. You know? No, I, I couldn't tell you anything like that, too. Um, all right. So it's just one of those, like, well, I'm just saying people are like, oh, the Olsen trends are shaping up into something. Like, dude, that's we've won watching the Olsen twins since 1987. <laughs> like, why are you like the closest equivalent would probably be like the Catch Me Outside girl? All right, well, if that doesn't scream Mason City, no offense. <laughs> I mean, she's the she's the most recent person I can think of where people were counting down to she where she would be eighteen. Oh, jeez. Okay, that's that. That's just awful that that was your immediate thought, especially since you didn't amount to do anything to begin with. I didn't subscribe to it or nothing. No, I didn't. I didn't accuse you of that. I'm just saying, like, dude, she's just a dumb redneck. I, yeah, I mean, I'm trash. I mean, well, I'm no, I'm not. I don't want to even call you that. Like, I don't like her. <laughs> but no, it's like <sighs> I mean, she makes more money than any of us. No, I guess, I guess, in my case, it'd be Farrah Abraham, the the uh, uh, the only thing I knew about Team Mom was that oh, and she's doing backdoor porn, like. Uh, like <laughs> No, I don't think I'm gonna be watching. Um, like that's just gonna screw up my Pornhub searches, anyhow. I, and Fair Abraham, no, I don't want to watch that. Jeez, yeah, I don't know. A, yeah, hard to cut from child actresses to yeah, to the, somewhere along the line. Well, no, I I'm just saying. It, 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 I guess it's just more about that uh, that vibe that like. <laughs> um. Like no, they totally set. I guess it's just like they totally sexualize a fourteen a fourteen year old in this movie, and it's like, uh, like what? You know, it's kind of like, okay, somebody thinks like that. It's like, and we're cool with it. It's like me being somebody who thinks Marty Skrull should be booked. Like, okay, he may have. Like, we don't know the true story. We don't know the exact facts about his incident with a 16 year old when he was 30. We just know that if it wasn't rape, it was technically legal. So, but, you know, and, but so, you know, until we hear all sides, we shouldn't pass judgment, but that guy can't get booked. And he was a member of the elite, like, and one of the heroes, folks. Well, I don't know, but I'm just saying it's like, and never mind how many stories we have about, you know, guys in college going in sleeping with high school girls like we're cool with that like we're cool with luke wilson and old school sleeping with elijah dushku not elijah dushku uh elisa colfert who was playing the boss's high school daughter like yeah man yeah it's it's just a right i'm just Look what we did to Britney Spears not even that long ago. Oh, like, no. And that, that's not like, 
and I guess that would be the closest to me counting down. I never watched the Mickey Mouse Club, so I feel innocent, but <laughs> not so innocent. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, no, I'm just. It's like, yeah, it's just. I guess it's just very creepy, as I say, especially after, um, as I told you about the Godfather and even Melanie Griffin uh, from, you know, best known probably for something wild from 1986. Like she was in a uh, noir movie with Gene Hackman. I can't remember the name of it, but it's like, oh, yeah, we're um, yeah, we're just going to have Melanie Griffin. She's not 18. Yeah. She's not getting too sexual. <laughs> like, art. like, no, it's just very, like, there's just so much sleaze. And I guess, if anything, that's why this movie is on Shudder. Because, as I say, it's not exceptionally horrific. It's just something that's really just taboo, in all honesty. Yeah. So. I mean, it is kind of, I mean, it's kind of scary for her. I mean, she's got this crazy pedophile pervert trying to break into her house and she's all alone. Yeah. She can't fight him off. Oh, no. Oh, no, I I get that. It's just like, why are, you know, Night Moves was the movie I was talking about, Melanie Griffin. Oh, well, when you, Griffith, Melanie Griffith, sorry. And when you know that movie had James Wood in it. So, hey, creeps. Um, <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's just, and this, I guess, the biggest problem, the biggest thing about this movie is that it pretty much puts it right out in front of you. This again, if anything, this is a argument for lenient statutory laws, because <laughs> obviously Jodie Foster's character, regardless, she's fighting off a pervert in Martin Sheen. <laughs> She is far more mature than her age lets on. She's play, as I say, she's playing an adult in this movie, and I think that's kind of creepy because it's going to give it may give people, well, perverts primarily the concept that oh well, some of them are as old as you think they should be. Uh, I don't know. This is just kind of inspiring me to watch Lolita just to further investigate this sick stuff, like. <laughs> the yeah, sick this I've never actually watched it. Well, it's a it's a it's based off a book by uh Navikov, as they say. It's it's one of my favorite songs by the police, Don't Stand So Close to Me, which is about a probably true life experience for Sting since he was a teacher about, you know, girl high school girls trying to get with him. And like he even mentions by the I can't recall the lyric. Um, just like the like the man in the book by Navikov. <laughs> like he basically goes and says, Yeah, I'm experiencing a Lolita situation. <laughs> but that's where the term Lolita comes from, though, is from the book. Because um, if you remember Amy Fisher, the Long Island Lolita, and Jody Buttafuco. That was the 90s. A simpler time. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm glad we live in these times because if we didn't, because this movie would have probably been buried in 
buried, but thanks to streaming and thanks to Shutter, <laughs> we get to think about this stuff again. And you know what? Regardless if it's comfort- comfortable to think about, it's, I think, shit we really should actually have to think about because it's a fucked up world out there. <laughs> Better be prepared for everything. Well, yeah, for sure. There might not be any blood, but I mean, I, I think it, it's a very real horror. Yes, thank you. All right, so it justifies itself to be on Shutter. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> we got to, we got there. So I think we better. Um, never mind the fact I spilled a bunch of cranberry juice. Um, <laughs> better get to uh, wrapping this. <laughs> yeah, we better get to wrapping this one up. Uh, so. Anything new? Anything you want to promote? Um, I mean, I know you're on Facebook. It's not that hard to find them. <laughs> uh, no, I got nothing really going on. I mean, if you really want to, you can check out that uh, that podcast I mentioned earlier. Uh, I think it was uh, it was Sports Balls on the Eargasm Network. Sports Balls on Eargasm. Yeah, wrestling. Right. Yeah. I think I yeah the Toe Wrestling episode. All right. No, that's wrestling all right no that's very cool definitely noting that right now yeah screw paper towels give me a pen and paper uh right earball sports okay all right well as always you can find all my movie stuff my all my writing at main event of the dead.com uh if you want to be on the podcast because i mean i love having gregory on but he can't carry this thing (laughs) like I can't have him on more than once a month. I mean, um, so if you could, uh, if you want to be on the show, come up with a movie, a director, an actor, a theme, as long as you focus on sub 100 minute movies. If you want to take that time to watch the credits and see if it actually counts against the movie, go, go right ahead. I mean, again, it took research to find out that Under Siege will work for this podcast. Under Siege 2 Dark ter- Territory would definitely work. But uh, just send me an email, rustthebus07 at gmail.com. That's R U S S T H E B U S 07 at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at catbusrust. That's at C A T B U S R U S S. If you got anything bad to say about the podcast, send it over there. I've kind of laid off the conservative trolls. Um, so, but there's times where I just need to choose violence. So, uh, otherwise, rate and subscribe on your podcast apps. Uh, five-star reviews preferred just to help the algorithm. But you know what? I'm an overly honest person, so I understand a four, a three, maybe a two, a one, and you're just a fucking asshole. Um, <laughs> so thanks again, uh, Gregory, for coming back on the show. And uh, look forward to chatting with you again. Oh, yeah. Same uh, likewise, buddy. All right. So let me hit that. Jeez, where do they put all the buttons now on Zoom? Can I hear a wahoo?